All right, First Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. And as we saw in previously, previous weeks, he was talking about, for in, when he said for in Christ Jesus, it was in relation to and in the direction of. He wasn't just saying, follow me because I'm all that in a bag of chips. I'm wonderful. I'm inspired. I'm anointed. I'm appointed. All this. He was saying, no, I'm showing you and guiding you on how to pattern yourself after Christ, even as I pattern my lifestyle after him. And he said that basically they were being procreated or regenerated in the likeness of Christ. So in other words, they may not have started out representing Christ. Some of them may have been wine bibbers, thieves, murderers, slaves, all across the arena um, in terms of their makeup, in terms of their background. But he says, as I am teaching you, I am recreating you or regenerating you in the character of Christ so you could take on his attributes as you see them in me. And then it talks about followers. And as I've been sharing over the last few weeks, followers uh, is one thing to imitate people. You know, we see parrots imitating the speech of people. We see sometimes animals appearing to uh, have human characteristics when all they're really doing is mimicking what they see. But it's one thing to mimic something. It's quite another to actually understand and take on the characteristics so that now you start walking in those characteristics because it's a part of you. So as we're looking at this, we're talking about taking on the pattern of Christ in such a manner that it becomes the essence of who we are. So we're going to continue on, but before we do that, we're going to open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Father, once again for the awesome privilege of coming before your throne, Lord, in praise and song, for being able to give unto your kingdom, Lord. We thank you right now, Father, that as we partake of the bread of life, the word which is inspired, which is pure, which is true, which is uncompromised, Father, it would take root of our minds and our hearts, Father, that it would guide us, it would strengthen us, it would inspire us, it would motivate us. Holy, it would do its perfect work in us, Lord, that we could resemble you. We thank you and we praise you, Father, for this, as well as all the opportunities you give us, Father, all the things that you open up before us to not only live according to your word, but also to impact the lives of others. We thank you, Father, for these things, and we give you the praise, honor, and glory, Father, for this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hallelujah. All right, so in previous weeks, we looked at the characters. One thing for Paul to say, be followers of me, as I follow Christ, but what exactly was he talking about? So basically, we've been going through the book of Acts, chapter 20, looking at some of the characteristics that Paul himself proclaimed that he lived by, and these are things that we can use as the foundation, the outline, a checklist of characteristics that we could take on so that we can imitate those things and have those same attributes in our lives as well. So we looked at the fact that he had humility and a servant's heart. In Acts 20:19, we saw that he walked in integrity. He had commitment in Acts 20:20. 20, 20. In Acts 20:21, 20, he was compassionate and he was unprejudiced. Amen. Acts 20:22, 20, he was spirit-led and trusting in God. In Acts 20:23, 20, he trusted in the witness of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 20:24, 20, 
he showed himself as faithful before God and before men. And in Acts 20, 26, we saw that he was pure before men with no regrets. And finally, we ended last week with Acts twenty twenty seven, where it showed that he was indomitable in ministry. In other words, he never holds back. He never goes at 50%. He was a 100% full throttle type of guy. No matter what he suffered, he gave God his all. That's why he said that before the time of his passing, I am willing and ready to be poured out as a drink offering. I'm empty. Amen. I heard that one time as they were talking about uh, different competitors, the Michael Jordans of the world, that when he was out there in the court, whether he was healthy or injured or sick, he gave it all. He left it all on the floor where Paul left it all out there before the world, before he perished. Amen. And God would have us to do the same. So this week we're going to continue on and we see that Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he was a shepherd and a developer of people. And these are attributes that we could take on as well. So Acts chapter 20, verses 28 and 29, it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which, he, over the, which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. And that word overseers means to be superintendents. Amen. That is, Christian officers in general charge of a church. And there's different levels of oversight. We see in this day and age that sometimes people are just a leader over a certain department at a job. Or at a church, they're a pastor of that church. But then we see also that there are people that are pastors to pastors. We call them apostles or bishops. So there are different levels of oversight. But whatever area that God has called you to, he wants you to do it with uh, commitment. He wants you to do it with, with love. He wants you to do it with fervency. You can't expect to be placed in a position of leadership and you don't have that level of commitment that through, throughout thick and thin, up and downs, trials and tribulations, you still have the same fervency to get the job done. Uh, right now, I'm in the leadership of a project from a technical perspective at my job and the people that are over me in terms of the company, they know there might be times where I'm going through trials and tribulations, but at the end of the day, they want this project to be completed. So if I'm going to walk in a supervisory position, especially over other people, I have to be willing to examine myself and say, hey, before I even take charge of this aspect of the project, do I have what it takes to see it through on my good days, on my bad days, on the times where I'm perfectly right and on the t times that I'm totally wrong in the situations where I see things clearly and other times where I say I don't know what we're doing throughout all those different things if I'm going to be in a position of uh, authority and supervision over those things I have to be willing to go through all the ups and downs and yet have a certain level of stability diligence commitment and fervency to see the thing out and it's even more so in the body of Christ if God has placed you in authority over people. A lot of times you'll find that people, especially um, we've learned over the years, is that not only do we have to deal with the Fox family issues, but in terms of being in, 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 in leadership or spiritual oversight of other people, sometimes they're going through different things. And just so that we have the sensitivity to minister or counsel to them thoroughly, God will allow us through no sin or anything like that, but just so we can sense and discern and be able to give godly counsel, God will let us go through different things just so that we can 
feed the people, encourage the people, strengthen the people, guide the people. Amen. So part of the price of walking in that is that sometimes you deal with stuff that is not of your own accord. Sometimes the stuff's not even related to you. You're going through it just for the cause of being able to minister into the life of somebody else. So we see here that Paul took on his characteristics. And over the years, he dealt with uh, people fooling around with other people's lives. And he had to send a letter to the church. We saw situations where people wouldn't repent of sin. And Paul said, push him out of church. He don't want to repent, kick him out of there. And then later on, the man repented. He told the same people to kick them out, welcome them back with open arms, and don't judge him based upon what he did before. So even at a distance, he had oversight over that church, not only in terms of hearing about their business and telling them what to do, but he also had the prayerful mindset that I might not necessarily have you tell me everything that's going on, but because I'm praying, God is telling me some of the things that need to be addressed in your midst. Amen. And I think that's an area where a lot of people miss it in terms of spiritual authority. They just want somebody to tell them what's going on. If you really want to be well equipped in the body of Christ to lead other people, it's not always what they're saying or what you see them doing. It's more so what is the Holy Spirit telling you what's going on in people's lives so that you can feed, guide, reprove, motivate, inspire discipline, whatever it takes to help perfect those people because at the end of the day, God wants to see what he started in them or what he envisioned for them completed before they leave this earth. Amen? So the spiritual oversight is actually greater and more crucial than it is knowing what is going on in the lives of the people. Amen? And I find a lot of times, really, in terms of my experiences with people, especially as you're seeing things and even talking to people, people say a lot of different things. But by the Spirit, well, you're saying one thing, I know quite the other. I have times where God has said, go call that person up or go email that person and tell them this or that, and we haven't talked to them at all. Pam, I have a dream, or the Lord will show me something prophetically while I'm not even thinking about the person. All of a sudden, Something comes to my mind, and I know it's right on the money that needs to be spoken into that person's life. Or I know that I need to come in and share something in a sermon that relates to what that person or people are going through. Amen? By the Spirit, you get so much greater insight than trying to be eye-spy and nosing around in everybody's business. <laughs> Amen? So God has established... You know, basically an organizational structure. We see the, uh, the five-fold ministry in the book of Ephesians. We see even in the local church, he has placed pastors as the overseers of the churches. And that means that he's given them, if they're really seeking his face and studying the word, he's given them the insight to guide, and here's the key thing, to guard the lives of the members. I think that's kind of a forgotten art. You know, we are called to guard people. So if God is, is equipping you and taking you into the place where you're now going to be overseeing the lives of other people, you have to realize that you not only have to have a heart for them and not only have a word that you could teach them, but also you have a responsibility to say, I'm going to guard that person. Amen. I have to love them. I have to protect them. Even if it's not something they necessarily want to hear, I have to be willing to step in in the past and block that thing off from happening or tell them before they go there, don't go there. Warning, warning, don't do that. Um, so my question for us today is if that is where you feel God is leading you, are you abiding by 
and is starting to adapt to the instructions of what God is showing you to feed into the lives of other people. If you want to walk in authority too, you have to be a person that's willing to yield to authority. How can you say, I want to lead other people? I want people to submit to my leadership when you're a rebel, a lone ranger, an island to yourself, and nobody can tell you what to do. Amen? Hallelujah. So if you want to be a leader, a shepherd, a developer of people, to develop other people, you have to be developed yourself. To shepherd other people, you have to be able to submit to the leadership of somebody who shepherded you. To instruct other people or to reprove other people, you have to be a person that can take constructive criticism or being reproved to get some of the, own, the flaws out of your own life before you can expect somebody to respond to your leadership in their life. Amen? So unless you are God himself, and I don't think any of us are, each one of us, in other words, needs to be elevated to the point where I'm growing in God to the point where I'm mature and I can oversee other people, but we also had to have that part of us that is still the student and somebody can submit to the leadership or the authority of somebody else. Hallelujah. We see here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Study to show thyself approved. Those are big things. You know, and that's something I think really is lacking in the church today. We have a lot of people that are going through and they're hearing it in their ears from week to week. They may be actually very consistent in terms of their uh, commitment to going to church or Bible study every week. But are you really meditating upon what you're hearing? Are you studying and applying for yourself? And are you going out and doing the things that you're hearing instructed to you? Because you don't really take in and absorb everything you've heard unless you start to really ponder it and work it around in your mind and your spirit. And then when situations present themselves, you start applying that word. That really puts that extra oomph behind that word. When you've applied that passage of Scripture, when you've gone through especially trials and tribulations, and you've got to work that Scripture by seeing it come alive in your life through a profession of faith or standing your ground in God or praying and seeing the manifestation of God's promises in your life. It's one thing to say, I've heard a scripture. It's quite another thing to live that scripture. Amen? And here we're seeing here, it says, study to show thyself approved unto God. How are we approved unto God? By working our faith during trials and tribulations. It's easy to see and to say that I trust God when I'm not going through anything. And I say, oh, I believe God in his word. Amen? I believe God 100%. The word is infallible. But it's quite another thing when you're being tested to see if you're going to stand fast on that word. And that's why he's showing us here, study to show thyself approved unto God. And that's another thing. We might meet the measurement of people, but are we meeting the measurement of God himself? Can God test you to see the sincerity of your walk, the sincerity of your profession of faith? Amen? Are you willing to succumb to the test that God will place before you. We see here that if you've totally gone through the process, and this is a process that is never truly completed, we go through different cycles, different phases of our walk with God, and as grown as we may think we are from time to time, God can open up new scenarios and new situations where you think, whoa, never hit that one before. 
<laughs> God has a way of making us eat humble pie when we think we've arrived somewhere. But we see here that if we truly have gone through the process, through these various phases of life, whether it's due to different things manifest in our lives or us going up, growing up in age, literally. There's different cycles of life that God can take us through. But as we go through them, it says here, if we've truly absorbed and applied the word of God, no matter what we face, it says that we should be workmen that needeth not be ashamed. Amen? What is the end result when God allows you to be tested and tried? I think a lot of times we think, oh, those people are overcoming me or the devil's attacking me. But there's times where God himself might say, you know what, I'm going to allow this one through to see if my servant is really as faithful in the things they're saying. And God's not being evil. God is allowing these things to occur because he wants us to first of all go through the test so we can learn new things and have a testimony. But also there's times where we may think we have arrived to a certain level and he'll allow that testing to come through so we realize there's still new areas in which we can improve or grow. So God will allow these things to come through. And it's up to us, as we see here, to rightly divide the word of truth. Rightly divide the word of truth. In other words... You have to take the word of God based upon the current circumstances that you're facing and apply it in its proper context into your situation. You know, I've heard that over the years, many times that people have used a passage of scripture and had absolutely nothing to do with what they're saying. I remember one time uh, years ago, we were dealing with a situation with this couple that had um, fornicated and the guy said, well, David did it in the Bible, so why can't we do it? That's a misapplication of Scripture. The Scripture is not there to tell you, oh, if he did it, I could do it too and repent. No, it's there as a warning to say, don't you do it because these could be the consequences. But yet this person took the Scriptures out of context, used it to his own end to actually sin, and there's no way, shape, or form that God ever put anything in the Bible that is giving you a justification to go out there and sin. Yes, we know that the grace of God allows for repentance. But we should never use the word of God, which is meant to inspire, motivate, perfect, reprove, discipline. We should never use the word as a means to justify our sin. Amen. Hallelujah. But yet he did it. (laughs) And of of course, there were consequences to be dealt with. So we see here, God wants us to rightly divide the word of truth. And as I said... If we want to be a shepherd over other people, whatever the level is, shepherding our children spiritually or going into place of church leadership, in order for us to shepherd other people, we have to be shepherded, amen, rise up, mature, and then get to the place where God can trust us to place these other lives under our spiritual watch. But this is a characteristic that we see that God truly wants. He did it in Paul. He would like to do that in each one of us. Next thing we see about Paul, Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 31. We see that he is, or was, a spiritual warrior and protector. Spiritual warrior and protector. Acts twenty twenty nine through 31 says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. 
also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now that is a spiritual warrior and protector of his people. He said that even before he left, he says, warning, after I depart, the wolves are going to come in. <laughs> Matter of fact, he probably saw the wolves sitting right there. Through the discernment of the Holy Spirit, he probably said, that was a problem, that was a problem. But he's like, you know what, I'm not going to point anybody out. I'm just going to preach the word. I'm going to teach the principles of God. I'm going to guide you in spirit and truth. And once again, show myself as a pattern on how you can live for Christ. But he warned the people, by the time I leave, the wolves are going to be jumping up, trying to take over you, trying to control you, manipulate you, intimidate you, threaten you, deceive you, seduce you. They're here and they're going to attack. Or they may not be here yet, but they're on the horizon. And he basically warned them, look, these people are going to come in and they might sound the right way, but they're not going to spare any of the people. They're going to sift you as wheat. They're going to cause all kinds of problems. And they're going to do stuff that's going to manipulate, control, and even cause people to turn away from our faith. So he gave them a warning in advance as somebody that was a spiritual warrior and protector of them that... Be alert, these things are on the horizon. And that's something, as I said, each one of us, we can't necessarily walk around life all the time saying, well, it's none of my business. Amen? If God has truly given you a heart and you're taking on the nature of Jesus Christ, we saw Jesus as he was going from town to town, there was places where they wouldn't receive him. He was weeping. Amen? Times where before he even went into a town to preach, he realized that I have so much for you to offer you from the kingdom of God. And here I am, the, the, the Messiah that was promised for years and years. You guys are rejecting me, but instead of getting angry, want to call down judgment on them. Instead, he wept with compassion and with tears, like, why don't you people receive the truth of the kingdom of God? So God wants us to have compassion, but he also wants us to be willing to fight for those that he's placed under our spiritual jurisdiction. He wants us to be a warrior that prays. He wants us to be somebody that always that will also protect. Amen. So as we see here, he warns that people are going to arise speaking perverse things to draw disciples. And that's a crazy thing. They're going to draw away disciples after them. In other words, these people are not just speaking just to send you away. They want you to actually follow them and take on their ungodly nature. So Paul basically tried to give the warning and say, watch and remember that I'm not ceasing to warn and to pray for all of you day and night. Amen? Day and night. Just think about that. If you really want to be in the likeness of Jesus in regard to the people that he's called you to minister to, you can't be off the job. And just because you're at a distance doesn't mean that your job is done and, oh, they're on their own now. Instead, if there's people that he has placed under your spiritual jurisdiction, you should be praying for them day and night. You should be concerned about them when you're absent from them in the body. Amen? And as God places different things on your, on your heart for them, you should be praying. And if necessary, you may have to step in physically, whether it's in person on the phone, email, whatever. You might have to actually step in and warn these people that, hey, you're about to go off the trail. 
Amen. Now, on their end, they might not receive it, but as people that God is called to be watchmen over them, if we're praying and we're doing our part, then we're not guilty if they choose to still go and do their foolishness. Amen. All you could do is warn, but it's up to them whether or not they're going to follow the things that, that God has placed upon your heart for them. And I'm going to be honest, like, that's one of the things, like, years earlier, it would trouble me if God would place something on my heart and I would tell the people and they wouldn't heed it. I would be troubled and keep trying to convince them and, you know, work with it. And now it's just like, I get it, I deliver it, I keep it moving. It doesn't mean that I don't care. It's just that based upon the things that God called me to, I can't be putting the word in the life of people and fighting with them for something they're not going to receive anyway when there's so many other people out there that I could give that same word to and they'll receive it and will abide by it. Amen? So I still care about them, but not to the point where it's going to cripple me and have me obsessed with trying to reach and change the mind of somebody that's not willing to be changed. Because at the end of the day, some people have to go through to get them a place of humility where they're like, oh, now I see why you said that. Amen? <laughs> so anyway, Paul understood the nature of spiritual warfare and he also had discernment of how people's walk with God could be undermined. So he continually prayed and compassionately warned people whenever he could so they could avoid being entrapped by the enemy. He also could discern the sincerity of people even as he interacted with them. And similar to Jesus, he will realize when people were sharing one thing while living the opposite. Amen? That's that discerning of spirits. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's look over at Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I pray for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Wow, that's kind of tough. <laughs> this man is saying, like, I'm going, I'm all the way in. 100% committed. You go to your death, Lord. I'm going to die with you. <laughs> and the thing is, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he's the one that cut somebody's ear off. And Jesus had to heal him. So, a lot of people will look at that and say, well, wait, if this guy's ready to take a sword and cut off somebody's ear, he's ready to go all the way. But yet, Jesus looked and said, no, you're not. <laughs> it's one thing to even fight for me, but it's quite another thing to die for me. So even though you're aggressive, you're assertive, you got that mouth <laughs> that roars and will never be silenced, he says, I can discern in your spirit that you have the capability of betraying me and running for your life. Basically selling me out when the time comes. And Peter sits there, no, 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 not me. Never me. And that's how it is a lot of times when you discern things about people and try to speak into their lives. Because they're looking at the now and they're not necessarily looking at situations of great temptation or great adversity. A lot of times people really aren't true to themselves and they don't even know what they're capable of. So Jesus looked them right in the eye and said, no, you, you'll betray me. Before the cock crows three times, you'll sell me out. And Peter sat there, no, 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 Lord. He was okay. When he talked to Nathaniel, said, a man in which there is no guile. That was okay. 
When he looked at the Pharisees and Sadducees and said, whitewashed sepulchers. Amen. You're full of your father, the devil. Peter had no problem with that. But when he was in Peter's world, you're a sellout. Oh, I'm not receiving that. <laughs> but just because he wasn't receiving that didn't mean it wasn't true. Amen. Because as we know from the word, exactly what Jesus said was a thing that literally happened in his life. Thank God that Jesus reached out to him later and restored him and told him to preach the word and feed his sheep. Now, um, two key words in here. It says, Satan has desired to have you. That word desired in the underlying Greek means demanded to put on trial. Satan demanded before God, I want to put him on trial. He's a sellout, and I want to prove it. <laughs> so Jesus warned him. The devil wants to test you, man. <laughs> and there's a lot of us here in this room today. We might have the right profession of faith. We might go to church every week. We might dress the right way and look the right way. And enemy's like, let me test them. We'll see what they're made of. <laughs> we'll see how genuine that person's faith is through thick and thin. So Jesus was warning him and said that the devil is demanding to put you on trial to test you to see what you're made of. And it says that he wants to sift you as wheat. That word sift means to riddle you with blows. <laughs> so you're being tested, amen. Just imagine a boxer. You know, there's certain kinds of boxers that they say got a glass jaw. You might hit him to the abdomen a few times, but hit him in the jaw. He's got a glass jaw. He's out like a light. Some other people, they might be able to take a few blows to the head, but if you keep riddling with blows... They're a little softer than the gut, or they can't, they don't have the right endurance, so eventually they'll wear out and they'll drop. Amen? So basically, he's saying to Peter that the enemy is looking at you, he wants to put you to the trial, and he's saying that he'll rule you with, with blows to the point that you'll sell Jesus Christ out, even though you walk with him closely, and you're fully in agreement with what he stands for. But yet, Peter said, never going to happen. <laughs> But the reality is, as we saw in the future, that he himself could not see that the sellout was in there. So are we willing to examine ourselves? You know, as we are dealing with different situations on a daily basis, are we true to ourselves or are we trying to hide or pretend that the flaws and the chinks in our armor aren't truly there? Because if we're really open to what Jesus Christ would say to each one of us, he can show us the exact areas where we're full of compromise or where we're weak. But by us saying that, no, 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 not me. I'm not the one. <laughs> Unfortunately, the situation may have to occur where your weak areas are fully exposed because you refuse to accept that they're even there. Amen? Hallelujah. So Satan requested permission to sift through Peter's flaws. He could see the chinks in his armor. And he wanted to expose him as having areas in which he would compromise Jesus Christ. But yet, Peter denied it. And unfortunately, it led to him being fully exposed about his true character. To the point where he wept bitter, bitterly. But thank God, even though we may have flaws and even though we may fail, Jesus Christ still will reach out to each one of us. Amen. And try to turn that situation around for his glory, even after we've had our st toes stepped on or had those areas in our lives exposed. All right, um, the next thing we'll look at in terms of Paul's attributes, in terms of being a follower of Christ, 
In Acts chapter 20, 32 and 33, he basically showed that he was uninterested in worldly riches. Uninterested in worldly riches. And it says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of this grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. So we see here that he is fully focused on preaching the kingdom of God and leading people to righteousness in Jesus' name. Now, sometimes people confuse it. Well, you expect everybody that's a Christian or everybody out to God and really yield it to God as a vessel to be poor? That's not what he's saying here. He's basically saying that these things may come, but this is not the focus of my life or my ministry. I'm focused on doing what God has called me to do. And God, if he needs me to have various resources, he'll make sure that they happen. So I'm not making this something that I focus on. A perfect example of that is that years ago when I first um, incorporated the ministry, um, first of all, I didn't create the name of the ministry. I was just minding my business, prepared to go. um, I think I was working working at Blue Cross at the time. I was taking a shower, getting ready to go to work. All of a sudden, the Lord speaks the name of the ministry. So I was like, okay. Then the following day, I go to uh, a revival, um, Bishop Roger Samuel. He calls me up, and he basically repeats the name that God gave me, even though I told nobody. I don't even know if I even shared that with Pam yet. So he repeated, so that was the confirmation. And then later on, um, I met somebody up at, uh, at the time, Pastor Lester's church, and this is an older woman that he saw as a, a spiritual mentor. And I met her in the back, his back office and um, just laid eyes on her. How you doing? Pleasure to meet you. Sat down. She's like, you need to be on the radio. And books are a good for her. She started speaking to my life. Just laid eyes on her. And she's talking about all these different things. And you did this and that. I was like, it had to be the Holy Spirit because she's basically living. She's reading my mail. In my neighborhood, she was all over it. Speaking into my life, stuff that she couldn't know. Because we just met. So needless to say, uh, later on I was praying and the Lord finally showed me it was time to go on the radio. And that particular day, I was sitting at my job and um, I actually liked to take late lunches because I wanted a short afternoon. So I would go out 1, 1.30 to take lunch and have like a really short afternoon. But on this one particular day, the Lord kept telling me around noon, go outside. You know, go to lunch. And I'm like... I'm not going to lunch. I never go to lunch this early. So then I hear it again, go to lunch. And I was like, I don't like late lunches. I mean, early lunches. I'm not going to lunch. And then I hear it again. And I had this rule, like, if I hear, hear it three times, I test the Spirit, and it's like three times, hmm, must be the Holy Spirit. So I hear it the third time, go to lunch. So I get up from my desk. I go to the elevator. I go down. As soon as I walk out the front doors of Blue Cross, this woman I hadn't seen in a couple of years that used to work there, she stands, she said, I was waiting for you. She said, the Lord told me to bless your ministry. I was like, wow. <laughs> so she hands me $100, and then she says, give me your address. I give her an address, and her husband, her and her husband, they were in total agreement. They um, sent me money, and it started me out on the radio. And then another time before I went on OnePlace.com, her husband I don't think I even had met him physically at that point. He had a dream about me. He said, I saw you with Chuck, um, 
Charles Stanley and Chuck Swindoll, all these different big-name people. I'm like, okay. And the funny thing is I'm broadcasting on oneplace.com, and one day my picture is there side-by-side with all of them. (laughs) So sometimes the Lord will show people different things. But my main point about all this is that going on the radio and everything, I wasn't worried about money or anything like that. I was just concerned with serving God and doing what he called me to do. And when when the time came for it, I didn't have to go around begging everybody, oh, can you give me $100, $50, whatever, to go on the radio. God resourced me, and basically, without me asking, he was laying me on people's heart, and they were throwing me money to go on the air. I'm not saying I didn't make a personal investment because the bulk of it I paid out of pocket, but the reality is God still set people in place to bring the resources I needed. So it was the same thing with Paul. He was what you call uh, a tent maker in terms of ministry, He worked and did various things to bring in the things to sustain himself, but he wasn't concerned about going out and having to beg for everything. And that's pretty much a mindset I had. I will never beg people to be in ministry. Like, I got enough to do. I am not going to beg for nobody's money. (laughs) It's not going to (laughs) happen. Matter of fact, uh, I recall correctly, actually it was you, Nikki, I think you and Tony, years ago. Y'all basically came and said, we need to pay tithes and offering. Because I've never asked. <laughs> Y'all actually brought it to me. It's like, I always had this attitude, I ain't asked for nobody's money. So I had to get over it because it, it takes money, but that's another thing. Anyway, so um, 1 Corinthians nine thirteen through 19 says, Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I've used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. So he's basically saying I could live off the things um, as a result of me preaching. I could live based upon the gospel and be requesting of the churches and the people that they fund everything I'm doing, but he did not want that to be his focus. And because of that, I'm sure the Lord made sure everything was covered for him, but it was not from him begging or pleading. Or I've actually been in situations where I've seen people coercing the crowd to give me this or give me that. As a matter of fact, I was at one, one situation years ago at a church where the person basically said, before all the believers, like, oh, unless you got $3,500, don't even call me. I'm like, seriously? Well, the Lord wants to send you to an orphanage to preach, so you won't go. Because you got to get your due. So I'm like, where's that? You know, when the Son of Man himself said he didn't have a bed to lay down his head. Who are we to say, give me this or I won't preach the gospel? Amen. So anyway, our focus should not be on worldly riches. In this day and age, um, if God really wants us to go out and do things for the kingdom, as I said, if it's really God behind it, he will make a way for you to have every resource you need, not only in terms of money, but in terms of people to support you, in terms of uh, buildings, whatever. God will make a way. Matter of fact, we are in here because of the blessings of God. You know, even that. Because when I first came here, it was way too much. This place is not cheap. <laughs> it was way too much. And for me to do it, it would have been a stretch, not knowing how many people would be with us, how much money would be coming in terms of tithes and offering. You know, while I came down, I said, whoa, that would be a stretch. And at the time, I wasn't working a full-time job either. So I was like, it's a beautiful building, but uh, 
that's a big stretch. So they actually tried to work with me. They brought it down. I was like, still a stretch. So I was still praying. I went to a bunch of other places. I was over in Mount Laurel and different places looking at buildings. And there's actually one I was about to sign off on. I wasn't really crazy about it. I think it was the best location or even the best place because it was off of like a kind of like warehouse type things. And I was like, well, I guess we can make it livable, but it wasn't really my cup of tea. Um, and I was like, uh, maybe we might have to do it. So I was praying. Matter of fact, their grandmother went to, with me to the one place and we were kind of like, well, she's got that, that aesthetic eye of, you know, <laughs> making stuff look wonderful. So she's giving me tips on how we can make it work. So I was like, all right, I guess we got to do what we got to do. Because I knew the time was now. Like, God is telling us to do this. But I was like, man, I really want a place that would be, be beautiful. So this place is kind of on, on my heart, but the numbers, even with them trying to work with me, were not where I would want them to be. So anyway, I was like, I'm still praying. I didn't sign the dotted line anywhere. And finally, this one night, around 3 o'clock in the morning, the Lord woke me up. And he said, you called them up. You know, the people here at the Fortnightly, you call them up. Instead of them saying what you could pay, call them up and tell them, in November, you're going to give them this. December, you're going to give them this. In January, we could talk again. So I'm crazy enough. I called them up, and I said, the Lord told me <laughs> to tell you that in November, I'm going to give you this. <laughs> December, I'm going to give you this. In January, we could talk about it again. So they called me back, and they said, when do you want to get started? I was like, see, the, the Lord will resource you when you're doing what he calls you to do. Amen? And I've seen that a hundred times over. The Lord will resource you. Matter of fact, the Lord will resource you even outside of money. Um, I had to incorporate the ministry. I could have gone out and paid hundreds of dollars to lawyers. I went to the library, got different books, looked at articles of corporations, bylaws. I wrote my own articles and bylaws. I didn't get a lawyer. Incorporating with the state of New Jersey, with the IRS, we have a federal tax ID. I did all that myself getting credit card processing, negotiating a contract with WTMR and Camden and OnePlace.com. I did all those negotiations, went through the contract, signed everything myself. So the Lord showed me how to do all the things I needed to do to make the, get the thing up, not only running from the spiritual perspective, but also from the business perspective. The Lord took me through all this stuff. And that's why it's a blessing, though, because now I've actually helped other people go through that same process of a corporation because of what the Lord had me learn. So the Lord will give you everything you need if you're following, him, following his lead. Nice little rhyme. The Lord will give you everything you need if you're following his lead. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> and we see here, Paul, amen. Actually, I didn't even read the whole verse. But as he was saying, um, Paul saying, Though I be free from all men, yet I've made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Amen. See, he's saying, I'm a servant to you, but I'm free to any kind of control that you could have over me. I don't owe anybody anything for me to preach this gospel. I can preach it pure and without control of people. And it's a shame when you see situations that are contrary to that. I remember years ago, uh, we, I was at a Bible study over in Philly. We were there for years. And um, we had midweek prayer one day. We had Bible study the next. And then they brought in this new pastor from New York, a Hispanic guy. And he's all fired up. And this is a beautiful old style church. You know, it was like a maze inside of that building. And um, 
but it was very, very traditional. So he came in and he wanted to add air conditioning and sound equipment and mounting speakers and soundboards and bringing in drummers and live, you know, full band as opposed to, you know, musicians as opposed to just the pipe organ. And the Lord was blessing in the sense that newer, younger people were starting to come in, but because the old school traditional didn't like that, they were now trying to fire him. And they started firing anybody that was supportive of him. So I've seen, you know, things come in and people get a little crazy and try to block what God is trying to do. Amen. But as long as we're really on board with him, I believe that God will truly open up opportunities and will, will sustain them despite any kind of opposition that can come your way. All right. Um, next thing we see about the attributes of Paul, Acts twenty thirty four. he basically shows that he is responsible and not lazy. Responsible and not lazy. He says, Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. He said that these hands have ministered. I didn't send somebody else's hands <laughs> to impart unto you. He said, with his own hands, he has labored unto the necessities of the people. And there's times that he delegated, but basically he's saying, I'm taking full accountability for everything that I'm imparting into your lives. And in terms of overseeing these churches. And then we go further and we see in the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, 6 through 9, he says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provided her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? So this is a good passage for us to be diligent and committed and faithful in all the things that, the, that God has called us to do. That word sluggard there means indolent. I-N-D-O-L-E-N-T. Indolent. And what that means is wanting to avoid activity or exertion. <laughs> Some people actually exert themselves not to exert themselves. <laughs> Just lazy. I don't want to do anything. I just want to sit back and do nothing. It says one who leans idly or one who wants to avoid activity or, exer or exertion. Sluggard. <laughs> but we see here that God is telling us not to be the sluggard who sits back, does nothing, and then in a time of drought or winter is going to the ant and saying, hey, can you spare something to eat? Some money, something, give me a place to sleep tonight. I'm bankrupt. Whereas the ant says that even though it's a good season right now, I'm going to exert myself and work because I know the days of hardship could be on the horizon. Or I see in advance of the season that a season is coming where I'm going to lack. So the person that has an ant mentality is always working. Even when they're prospering, they're working because they're saying, I might as well take advantage of the current situation because it may not always be that way. Now, the ant is famous throughout the ages for its social habits, foresight, economy, and industriousness. And one of the things I learned as I was evaluating this or reading this is that when they collect their food at their proper season, 
This really amazed me. It says they will bite off the ends of grain to prevent it from germinating. I was like, man, ants are smart. <laughs> They'll actually bite off the ends so that the plant won't start rooting and become another gra- plant pl- growing up inside their house. So they actually will bite off the ends so they'll just lay there and won't grow anymore. I was like, wow, they're more brilliant than most people. <laughs> store their food and <laughs> store it the right way so it lasts. And it says they will lay it up in cells uh, in their nest, you know, or ant hill or whatever. Um, they will lay it up in cells until it's needed. And as we already saw, they're diligent during current times while also preparing for hardship in advance. You know, we had ants early in the spring, and I, it was actually Mr. Walter who said something I had just read, too, about how because of the amount of rain, they're basically rogue ants that deserted the queen. Like, she's drowning. We out. <laughs> so they went off their own way, and they were like, hey, we're going to get food here, here, and here, and here, and they were just all over the place. And we had to fight like crazy, and we finally won the war, but man, those things did not give up. They're so diligent. If people had the same level of determination as ant, we'd probably all be millionaires. Amen? But we see here, as I said, um, researching them, not only are they hard workers, but they're wise workers. They prepare themselves for seasons of drought. And even in terms of storing that which they have collected, they store it in a way that is sustained and it doesn't cause them any kind of hardship. Amen? Hallelujah. <laughs> Here's another one concerning the sluggard. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. Just that word sluggard doesn't sound right. It's just it's sluggard. It's just something about the way it even sounds. Just sluggard. <laughs> just does not sound good. I can see somebody doesn't even know what it means. Like, man, that just sounds like an insult. It's something about that word, <laughs> that and sloth, just... It just doesn't even sound right. But we see here, it says that by reason of the cold, the sluggard will not push himself. So, oh, it's a little cold outside. Or it's raining today. A little bit too windy or dusty for my, for my taste. Oh, if I go out there and work, I'm going to get my hands dirty. And then they wonder why in the time of drought, they have nothing. And, man, I really can't understand. I've been working... Pretty much, I think, since I, I was working, since I was a 12-year-old paper boy. And even then, I know it wasn't right, but I was 12 when I got a paper route. The rule was actually that you had to be 13, so I lied because I wanted a paper route. I was like, I want to work. So all I've really known is working, working, and more working. So it's hard for me to even fathom to have the mindset that you just want to sit back and do nothing. Or, even worse, sit back and let other people be your resource. Amen. If you're going to be dependent on somebody, be dependent upon God himself. Amen? But work hard and be diligent. And we see the benefit of being diligent. You know, sometimes it's not easy to work. As we see, the sluggard will say, it's cold outside, so I'm not going to work right now. But the person that's diligent will say, yeah, it's cold outside, but it can get a lot of cold. It'll get a lot colder. So I'm going to get my rear end out there, and I'm going to work. Amen? So because of that, that person will succeed. Um, a lazy person will find excuses during the current time not to work hard, failing to realize that sometimes you've got to make those sacrifices 
in the present to prepare, be prepared for the future. Amen? So it's not always easy, but sometimes we just got to get in there, work hard, get the hands dirty, and, and get the job done. And you see the blessings afterwards. Book of Hebrews chapter thirteen seventeen says, Obey them that have a rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. That basically takes us from our personal mindset in terms of our work to now going to the situation where you're under the supervision of somebody else. And sometimes people that are over you, whether it's spiritually or in terms of employment, a lot of times they will push you because they see that there's more that they can get out of you. Or overall, for the benefit of the corporation or the church or whatever organization it is, they realize that everybody's got to give it, come in and give their own part to sustain the life of that entity, whatever it is. And we see here that, especially as it comes to a spiritual perspective, there's times where you might have to submit to the leadership and somebody will say there's something that you need to do that may not seem to be your cup of tea, as they say, but God says he doesn't want us to give them grief in that situation and yet to submit to that authority because it is profitable for the body overall. And over the years, I've truly found that I haven't necessarily liked everything that leaders have said to me over the years. Sometimes things were, were hurtful. Sometimes things are unfair. But yet I found over the years that if you really look at the situation corporately and as a body, there's reasons why certain things need to be done. And as you start to grow in your faith and start to exercise your gifts, you'll see, especially when God gets you to place of now supervising or monitoring or overseeing the lives of other people, being a leader and committing yourself to helping to train other people or mature other people, some of these sacrifices that you make earlier on, you start to realize sometimes a good side, oh, I didn't understand it then, but here now I can see why I need to do it. But then sometimes on the other side of the coin, you learn what not to do and how to implement things in the future for other people. So there's both sides of the coin, but overall, it's good. And God is basically saying that he wants us all to be faithful, available, teachable, moldable, and able to submit to people that he has placed in, in to oversee us spiritually or at a job because it's for our benefit overall. And he doesn't want, doesn't want us to be the person that resists and causes grief and causes problems to those in our leadership. And I think like professionally as well as in the body of Christ, because I've been willing to submit to the authorities of others, God has blessed me and often elevated me in different situations. Even at my current job, there's times where I was undermined or things didn't go the way I saw fit, but because I submitted to the leadership and their decisions, in his own timing, God opened up the door so that now I have five people under me. But I had to go through the process of, this person's not appreciating me, or this person's not treating me right, or that person's undermining me. Sometimes you got to go through that hard, unproductive, or the side that you don't like in order to get to the side where God elevates you where he wants. Amen? He did the same thing with Joseph. Joseph had to do prison time. <laughs> we forget that. We see Joseph <laughs> elevated second command only to Pharaoh. Well, he got accused... <laughs> 
<laughs> of trying to rape the wife, you know, Potiphar's wife, and he got thrown into prison for years. He got forgotten by people that he actually, you know, uh, interpreted their dreams. They forgot him when they got out. So he did a lot of time and hard labor before he got to the position of being in leadership. Amen? So if you want to lead, sometimes you got to work hard, and there might be times that even in the process of you working hard, what you're doing is unappreciated, forgotten, dismissed, but yet it's all part of the process. In due season, God will elevate you, but you got to go through the process the right way and give God 100%. And even in that, a lot of times people don't realize that by you giving somebody here on the earth, whether it's at a job or the church, 100%, God looks at that as being giving him 100%. Amen? Because he's the one at the end of the day that placed them in leadership over you. So if we're giving them grief, God's saying, hey, this is not going to be a profitable time for you. But if you submit to their authority, God will bless you even if they're not being a blessing to you. And I've seen that, like I said, professionally as well as in the church world. Now, um, Acts chapter 20, verse 35, we see that Paul was also giving. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I've always felt that way, even before I was saved and knew the principles of God. I was always the kind of person, I just like helping people, you know. <laughs> I tell people, I was like, man, I mean, if we really could have superpowers, you know, like the comic books and stuff like that, I, so I would just throw on a cape and I would just go save the world. That would be my job description. Because I really just like helping people. You know, it doesn't matter what I'm going through in terms of life, up or down, at the top, going through a hard time. It's just something about being able to touch the life of somebody else and help somebody in need that has always been a blessing to me. And I tell people it's not only in terms of my Christian faith, but also I think it's a product of my upbringing. Because I saw how my mom was raised. She was raised up on a farm. I mean, not these modern newfangled farms, but I'm, I would go down to North Carolina, and they had donkeys, chicken running around the yard, the hound dogs, <laughs> the woods out back, and the sheds. And I mean, it was so simplistic how my mom grew up. They literally had an outhouse. I mean, they had no plumbing. When I was a kid, you went to the bathroom like, you got two choices, outhouse or those woods over there. I mean, literally. <laughs> I tell people, they like, <laughs> I say, yes, my mom did not grow up with plumbing. <laughs> I mean, I think I was a teenager by the time they finally got plumbing. Even taking baths when we would go down and visit my grandparents on the farm, we took a bath. They had the big steel tub they would boil some water on the stove and pour it in and the, it was well water and to get the well water you get that arm ready there's no none of this turn on the faucet i mean you pumped <laughs> buckets boil some on the stove pour that in okay there's your bath water <laughs> and i hate to say it but multiple people used it <laughs> before it was dumped it was just that simplistic but it was a very simplistic lifestyle, but it was a very giving lifestyle. 
you know, because they own, you know, they had peach trees and apple trees and pears and they had tobacco fields and stuff like that. And my grandfather had got to the place where he finally owned land and he had people that were allowed to live on the land that would, you know, do work, share, sharecropping. And um, they would work the land for him and assist us with him and they would all reap the benefits and the way they all just treated each other. I mean, that was something that just stayed with me. So, yes, the character of Christ and the word has done a lot in me, but my mother and the upbringing of that simple walk was something that did a lot in me as well. So it's hard for me to understand people like, why did you thank that person? Or why did you hold the door for that person? Or why, you do, why wouldn't I? I mean, it's just so easy and such a blessing to give into the life of other people. I just love it. I mean, I just love it. I mean, even the small things. I'd be in a grocery store and somebody's too short. Can you reach that for me? Sure. You know, I just like helping people. All right, so um, another one we see in terms of giving, Colossians 2, 1 through 5. For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding in your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. All right, so the thing I like about this is that it shows that even though Paul wasn't necessarily present with the people all the time, he was never so distant from them, whether it was physically or in his emotions and his prayers, that he didn't feel like he was a part of those people. So he was in spirit with them all the time. And just having that heart and that character is something that I believe God truly has for each one of us, that we can pray fervently for each one of, of the people in our lives, whether it's uh, directly, whether it's indirectly. You, know, you may not necessarily see some of the people. I've, I've had relationships with people. Uh, one person um, recently was in prison. I never met him. And um, yet we've written letters to each other where he's talking about a blessing I am in his life for sending him Bible study notes and things like that. And he's sharing them among prisoners. And this is a person that when I first talked to his mother, he's getting to the point where he's starting to feel hopeless. But to see him go from that to saying, hey, you know, I know it's hard sometimes, but I'm still praying. I'm believing God. I'm reading the stuff you're sending me and I'm sharing it with other people. Sometimes you don't necessarily have to be there to pray with somebody and to be connected to them via faith. So God can do these things, but we have to have the mindset that we want to give of ourselves the same way Paul did with the early church and Jesus did in terms of how he cared for the whole world. Compassion doesn't mean necessarily knowing somebody firsthand. But you can still touch those lives. And it's been the same thing. You know, I've interacted with people in the islands and overseas and Philippines and Malaysia and Russia and Afghanistan and Pakistan. You know, you can form relationships that you may never even meet the people face to face. You may only see them up in heavenly places, but yet God can give you connection if you're just willing to open up and give of yourself to those individuals. And sometimes the small things can be life-changing in the lives of other people. I remember one time um, 
I got an uh, email from some people in Afghanistan, and they said, you know, we're, surround, we're Christians surrounded by, I'm sorry, it was Pakistan. Like, we're Christians, and everybody around us, you know, hates Christians. And if they were to know, we could be attacked or even killed. And, and they sent me um, a request that I could send them certain things. And, and, you know, I was praying, and the Lord showed me to send them a bunch of different teachings, and I put them all in the envelope, and I was about to, to mail it. I was going to put the return label of our ministry on there, but it has the logo, and it definitely has things that will indicate it's from Christians. And as I was about to put it on there, the Holy Spirit was like, no. He's like, put on your regular address label. And I didn't know why at first, because I always used the, the ministry's label, but I was like, okay. So I put it on there, and then I put it in the mail and everything, and within a day or so, I get a um, mailing from Voice of the Martyrs, and they talked about how a pastor, a pastor just got killed, and they were threatening his son because of their religious preaching. I was like, wow. <laughs> so I was like, here's what I meant to touch them and strengthen them um, spiritually could have exposed them and helped take their lives. I would have felt horrible about that, but yet the Holy Spirit intervened. He said, I see your heart to give and to help them, but I'm helping you out in ways that you don't even know that are important. So as long as we have a heart to give and to touch the lives of people, um, God will handle all those things in between that we may not necessarily be aware of. Um, you can write it down for later, Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. It just talks about us not having eye service as men pleasers. And I think that's something that we can all adapt to, <laughs> whether it's in church or in the business world, we can all have the mindset that we shouldn't just be eye pleasers. What is an eye pleaser? Just somebody that when you got your eyes on me, 100%, I'm energetic, I'm motivated, I'll give you my all. As soon as the person rounds the corner, <laughs> I think I play solitaire on the computer all day. That's an eye pleaser. <laughs> lip pleaser, you know, somebody giving lip service, that's somebody who just say the right thing but not necessarily back up the things that are coming out of their mouth. But God says, I want you to be more than people to provide lip service or eye service. Whether or not they ask and whether or not they're there, you give 100% in all your servitude unto them. And I'll be the one to reward you whether or not they discern it or not. So that's how God wants us to do it. And then the last thing we'll share about being followers of God as it relates to the characteristics of Paul is that Paul was a man of prayer. And we see that in Acts chapter 20, 36. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. This is after they warned Paul, and they said, if you keep going on in ministry, and you go to Jerusalem, you know, this, at some point there's going to be people waiting for you that are going to take your life. And they told him, and they begged and pleaded with him, and he said, I'm going to finish the course of my life, and I'm going to preach this gospel no matter what happens to me. And after he said that, what they tried to do in terms of warning him and comforting him turned the other way around. He was actually comforting them, and he basically had to pray for all that because they were afraid of what was in store for him because they loved him so much. So Paul was a man of prayer, not only praying to comfort them during this time before he left them for the last time, but also, as we saw in jail and in letters, Paul was always praying for the people that were under his spiritual jurisdiction. And um, this is one I'm going to share from Ezekiel 
chapter 33. Actually, I'll just talk about this. Ezekiel 33, 1 through 9 talks about the watchman. Amen? And basically saying that they're spiritual watchmen that are praying over their families, over cities, over things they care about. And he's basically saying that when I've set you as somebody that is called to be a watchman and the trumpet sounds that the danger is on the horizon, if you're not willing to step in and warn the people when you've heard that trumpet call, then the blood of those people will be on your hands. But if you warn them and they don't heed the warnings, then their blood is on themselves because they refuse to heed the warning. So God, if we're really taking on the characteristics of Christ, like I said, we should be praying for our neighbors, for our family members, for our friends, for our co-workers, people in organizations. We should be praying for people all the time. And as the Holy Spirit places things upon our heart, we should be praying the things that we're hearing. I mean, there's been times where the Lord has told me things and uh, I've been praying and I don't have any clue what's going on in people's lives. And all of a sudden, the Lord will show me something through prayer. Go tell so-and-so this. And I'll go tell them. And I've had times people come back to me a year later. That warning you gave me, that was right on the money. I was like, I don't remember what you're talking about, but okay. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, I, re- I kind of remember something along those lines. I don't remember exactly, but I remember I was praying. The Lord told me to tell you this. So, okay, yeah, if it got, praise God. <laughs> You know, I'm just the messenger. I'm just the delivery boy. And there's times where God's told me stuff about people's health. And I've, I've prayed and I've told people, go do this, go do that. I remember distinctly one time I was over in, um, in Philadelphia. I used to go to this place called Snow White. The buttery grits. Whew. Mm-mm-mm. I used to go over there. And uh, that was one of the things I got. But I remember one day I went in there. I was like coming off the train, the speed line. And I was walking and praying on the way to work. And I go into Snow White. And I'd been to the one at 2nd and Market. This one was at, like, 19th and Market slash Chestnut. No, Chestnut. Around 19th and Chestnut. So I walk into this one day. And as soon as I walk in, I look at this lady. And the Lord tells, tells me to warn her. Like, her blood pressure is high. And she's got diabetes. So I, so I did my order. And I'm sitting there as I'm waiting for my order, and I'm praying. And I was just like, okay, she's going to think I'm a whack job. I ain't never laid eyes on this woman before. But as I'm praying, the Lord's showing me, like, he's giving me a sense of urgency as I'm praying. The more I'm praying for her, the more he's giving me a sense of urgency, warn this woman. She's in trouble. So finally, like, okay. So I get my order. I pay her. And I said, um, I need to share something with you. And she said, what's that? And I said, I'm a man of God. I said, the Lord told me to warn you, you need to go um, to the doctor. And I told her why. I said, you're diabetic. I said, your blood pressure is high. You need to go to the doctor immediately. I have a sense of urgency. You need to go to the doctor immediately. And she said, I've been to the doctor recently. I'm okay. I was like, are you sure? I said, I have a sense of urgency in my spirit. You need to get yourself checked out now. She said, no, no, I'm fine. I get my checkups. I'm fine. So I was like, I can sit there debating you forever. I was like, well, maybe I missed it. I'm, I'm human. I'm infallible. I'm not, you know, infallible. I could fail. So I was like, hey, maybe I heard the Lord wrong. I thought I heard him. But I was like, all right. So I was like, all right, well, God bless you. And, you know, I walk out. And then I come back a couple of days later, and she's not there. And I was like, well, people take days off from work, you know, so I'm not reading anything into it major. Then I come back the next week, not there. Next week, it's like, 
you remember this light-skinned um, black woman, blah, 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 about this high? And they said, oh, yeah, her name's Sandy. She said, um, this, and they said uh, her blood pressure shot through the roof, and they rushed her to the hospital. They had to amputate half her foot. I was like, oh. And I was just like, I warned her. And, and literally the people said the timeline, it had to be a day or so after I warned her. And months later, I walk in there one day, and she's there. So she lay, lays aisles on me. It's just like, but I'm like, I get no pleasure in that. I was just the delivery person trying to warn you, but I don't get any, I was right, told you. I mean, no, I'm not having no moment. I'm sorry because I wish you had heeded the warning. So unfortunately, like sometimes we're praying and the Lord will show us stuff. Um, we have a responsibility if the Lord has given us a sense of urgency to share it. But once you've delivered the message, just thank God and hope that the warning is heeded. But at the end of the day, he's the Holy Spirit. He's God. You know, Jesus is a Savior. We are nobody's Savior. And all he wants us to do is be people that are prayerful and willing to share or pray or act or do whatever he leads us to do. Amen? Hallelujah. Uh, James chapter 5, I'm going to close with that. Thirteen through sixteen. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And that's just, that's definitely something that is true. Uh, all of us should be praying, especially when we're aware of somebody that's been afflicted. That should be the first response. First response should not be, that's horrible. No, the first response should be like, I'll pray for you. <laughs> Amen? Because we're appalled, we're alarmed. God is not, and God's got all power, and God has all authority. And I've seen some situations that are horrendous if you look at them in the natural and seeing the power of God come through in that situation. You know, I shared before, I was over at, um, I think it was Thomas Jefferson years ago. This woman had cancer, and we went in the room. Her chest was swollen up, her eyes, she had glaucoma, her circulation. She looked gray, kind of like grayish, you know. Uh, from lack of circulation on her feet, her fingertips, and her forehead. And we prayed in faith over her. I literally saw this woman's chest come down. And the, the, the blood seemed to circulate. Her skin started turning back to normal. I literally saw this before my eyes. We prayed for a guy at the church I got saved at one time. He was like, I think, six, seven. And we prayed for this guy. He had like a limp from the time I first met him. We prayed for him. I literally saw this guy's hip shift. His legs were were even. I mean, I've literally seen the power of God through prayer. I mean, I had, you remember Sister Kathy. One time she came to our house and she said to pray for this um, uh, family member down in Texas. And as I'm praying, all of a sudden I see this guy in a rocking chair. And I see like red at his hip. And the Lord shows me the red is the inflammation. I start praying against the arthritis in his hip and everything. And <laughs> the Lord will tell you too. I saw some girly magazines next to that recliner. I said, I was praying for his hip, and I said, tell him to get rid of the magazines too. <laughs> and I described the chair. So they're like, oh, he ain't just making stuff up. I described it. The Lord let me describe the chair in his house. 
<laughs> so like he got caught. The Lord, the Lord told on him. <laughs> you know, but just the power of prayer and the Lord coming through. Amen. Time at the time at the time again. Amen. So God wants us to be people of compassion and prayer, people of love and compassion. We want to step in. And as we take on the characteristics of Christ, amen, God not only pours out his blessings in our lives, but also in the lives of people that are surrounding us as, as well. So we're talking about being followers of me, as Paul's saying. Once again, it's not being people that are just mimics, just seeing what you do and just repeating it back. Or watching your body language and doing the same body language. Anybody could do that. A monkey could do that. <laughs> a parrot can repeat phrases. But it's one thing to just repeat things and to do what Paul was really talking about, which is to take in what you're doing, to see what you're doing, and fully grasp it and now absorb it to the point that it's now part of my character so that no longer are they seeing Brian Fox walking around, but they're seeing Jesus Christ. Amen. Small g, small jc. But just seeing like somebody pattern after that so that through us they can see the love of Christ. I'm just thinking about John 3.30. He says, basically, I must decrease, he must e- increase. In the Amplified, it talks about I must become less prominent, he must become more so. And what is that saying? It means we need to die to self. And instead of them seeing Brian Fox, I can't heal you, I can't set you free, I can't deliver you, I can't save you. So I'm a nice person. But at the end of the day, somebody that's going through calamity or hardship or they're devastated, they need to see Jesus Jesus Christ. So it's nice that Brian Fox wants to help them, but I need to die down and let the Holy Spirit inside of me come to the surface so that his wisdom, his love, his compassion, and his touch can truly interact with their lives. And they can say, I had a personal audience with an invisible God through the person that he sent here. That is what God truly wants in each one of us. Amen. Hallelujah, to be true followers of Christ with his character and his attributes. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we just give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. We glorify and magnify your name today. Hallelujah, you alone are worthy to be praised. So we just thank you, Father, that you saw fit to wake us up healthy and strong. We praise you, thank you, Father, that even as we're going through a transition, hallelujah, this week with many returning from vacation and going back to school, we ask you, Father, to pour out your blessings upon all your people, Lord. Uh, Right now, we pray first for the children as they're heading back to school, that this would be a year of divine safety for the children. Not only from sickness and disease, but also, Father, from hallelujah, acts of, uh, of murder and rage, Father, that would assault the schools. We praise and thank you that you would encamp all the schools with your angels, that no harm will come nigh the dwelling of your children as they are being educated. We praise and thank you, Father, against hallelujah, pestilence, striking the children in flus and viruses, Lord, bacteria that you'll keep them healthy. And we thank you, Father, even in terms of interactions between children and, and teachers and administrators, Father, that you will block, hallelujah, any forms of abuse right now, whether it be physical or verbal in nature. Right now, we thank and praise you, Lord. You do a work, hallelujah, your children. Cause them all to excel academically. 
turn all their hearts towards you, Jesus, Father. Allow them to, hallelujah, take in all the things that they're learning, Father, and to excel academically in everything that they seek to accomplish. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for this, that they would have traveling mercies as they would go to and from school as well. We thank you, Father, that you would put an end to bullying and, and all the uh, inappropriate things that are going on, rampant sexuality and just all these different things that are contrary to your word, Father, and you allow them all to be focused, Father, upon their education, that they would excel, hallelujah, and set um, the doors open for all the future opportunities that you have before them. We pray also, Father, for the adults that are transitioning into new jobs or ones that are teachers that are returning back to schools this week, Lord, that you would bless them and all the things that they're doing. We ask you, Father, hallelujah, to govern the, um, the, the councils and the boards and the, the educational system, just everything that would be in charge of governing teacher salaries and benefits and everything that would keep them working. We thank and praise your Father that, Holly, you would uh, place them all, all the academic systems, Father, on high alert, that we would no longer tolerate just putting people through the system and having uh, limited performance, Father, but that not only would the teachers, ex the children excel this year, but also the teachers would take their students to a higher level in terms of their performance. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for their safety as well. And right now, Father, we praise you for new opportunities for those who are seeking employment, Lord. Just bless them in every area, Lord. We praise you, Father, for the safety and serenity of our households, Father, that you would just bless us all, Father. Let us be one unit knit together, Father. Hallelujah, by your spirit. And we just praise you, Father, that we will all prosper, even as our souls prospers, Father. Hallelujah, in the coming months. We just give you glory and honor and praise, Father. And even um, in advance, Father, of uh, what's going to come in the coming months, we thank you, Father, for getting us through uh, the summer without it being another one that was plagued by hurricane as it had been in the, the last couple of years. We thank and praise your Father that you would even um, place a safe haven around each one of our homes, Father, as we come into the coming months, and they're saying it's going to be an extremely cold year, and there will probably be blizzards. We thank you, Father, for keeping your angels surrounding our properties and keeping us all safe. And we just thank you, Father, that even as we're concluding the series, um, being followers of you, Father, that if there's anything within us that is contrary to you or any areas in which we need to step up spiritually, Lord, we praise and thank you, Father, that you will reveal those things to us. And even as we would study to show ourselves approved, Father, hallelujah, bless us and take us to a new level of understanding a new level of fervency, a new level of growth in you, that not only we would take it in and prosper in our lives, Father, but that we could also be vessels of righteousness that can touch the lives of many. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for this. We give you the glory, the honor, and praise for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.